I have had so much coffee this morning that one or two things is going to happen. Either we're all in for it or this is going to be completely incoherent. I'm hoping for the first one, okay, just so we're clear. Uh, I am excited about today. We are talking about the Bible. Uh, last week, I told you that I thought that was probably the most important subject we would cover when we discuss salvation, and I, I believe that, but this might be the second most important because uh, the Bible is kind of the Christian guidebook, right? It tells us everything we need to know about God the Father, Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit, and how we should be living our life. It's God's revelation of himself to man. And uh, I just think that it's so important for us to have not only the correct view of the Bible, but to ensure that we are using the Bible in our lives on a daily basis, frankly, uh, even if it's just a scripture at a time. Um, I, I really think uh, that as human beings, we are what we eat, right? Uh, really, we are what we, can, what we consume. And uh, I am a mixture of bread products and proteins, but also <laughs> scripture, right? And so the more that we pour into our lives, whatever it may be, that's kind of what's reflected out of us. And so the more that we're in scripture, the more that I think that we reflect Christ. Now, the Bible is a collection of 66 books, right? 39 of them are in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. It's written by over 40 authors, uh, or I should say by 40 authors, some of which we don't exactly uh, know who they are. It spans over 1,500 years. It contains history and poetry and wisdom and prophecy, instruction for daily living, and good news. It is the best-selling book of all time. As of last year, it has sold over 5 billion copies and counting. Take that, Harry Potter. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the Bible is all over the place. And as of September of last year, the entirety of the Bible has been translated into 736 different languages. The New Testament alone in over 1,500 languages. Now, our statement as a church on the Bible reads, the Bible is the word of God. The 66 books encompassed by the Old and New Testaments were all inspired by God to instruct and lead people to him and to righteous living. Though multiple translations are available in multiple languages, God's truth is made apparent to all people by guidance of the Holy Spirit through prayer and study. Therefore, the Bible is faultless and the highest physical authority to any believer and church. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. So this is the one kind of statement, the one core belief that we just use the scripture to kind of uh, express, right? Because I think that verse, those verses, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, which we'll reference to multiple times today, kind of say it all. Again, so I'm going to read it one more time. This is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, I think we have to begin by looking at the term all scripture, right? All scripture. What does Paul mean in his writing by all scripture? Is this the Old and the New Testament? Does it refer only to the Torah, which would be the first five books of the Bible? Uh, it's important to understand exactly what he means. Now, 
Paul himself was a theologian of his day. He was a Pharisee. He was an expert in Jewish law and teachings uh, and the scriptures. Um, but could he possibly have been speaking about his own writings? Okay, that, that's kind of the question that we have to answer. Does it really refer to the entirety of scripture? What I would argue is that Paul was referring to the scriptures before the revelation of Christ, right? Old Testament, without forsaking the writings that we would consider scripture today. Now, in this passage, Paul is passionately writing to encourage Timothy to hold on to the revelation of God. You see, the Jews of this age forsake Christ and his teaching while clinging to the revelation of God, which exists before Jesus, right? That is their scripture. Now, Paul does not want Timothy to make a similar error by forsaking the scriptures of his childhood in favor of the teachings of Jesus. What he does for Timothy is equate to him the importance of clinging to both. This supports, in my mind, the continuity of what God accomplished on earth with that which Christ has accomplished on earth, right? For Paul, there is no beginning and end. It's not that Timothy should start with Christ and forsake or forget everything that he had learned to that point. If we look at the two verses before our two main verses, uh, we are told, but as for you, this is verses 14 and 15, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. See, these words do not detract from the wisdom that Timothy has heard about Christ. They do not detract from anything that Timothy knows about Christ. Nothing that he has received from apostles or disciples or anyone else in his life who has taught him about the love and the salvation of Christ. In fact, these words remind him that the scriptures led him, his original scriptures led him to the truth of Christ. So Paul continues in his encouragement, he said, with the words that we've read multiple times, by telling him that all scripture is God-breathed, right? So when he refers to all scripture, and we'll dig a little more deep, how am I want to say this? A little bit more deeper as we continue, or a little bit more deep, I guess. I'm not an English person. I barely know how to... <laughs> spell my own name most days. Okay. But we're going to get a little deeper into that. But here's what I will tell you, just if you're wanting a blanket statement, when he refers to all scripture, I think that we can look at that as all 66 books, right? We can look at that as the entirety of the Bible. But Paul goes on to tell Timothy that all scripture is God breathed. The Greek for this word is really theorenustos, which literally means inspired by God. So we have the support, and we're going to go through this support, scriptural support, but we have support for the belief that we can see the New Testament scripture in the same light as the Old Testament. First, from Jesus himself, who in John 14, 10 states, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me with his works. Okay. So right there, Jesus is establishing, my authority is the Father's authority, right? What I say to you is as good as what God says to you. He has given me that. What I give you is from the Father. I am in him. He is in me. Moving beyond this point, okay, Jesus makes it clear to the disciples 
uh, that his apost- or makes it clear to us, I'm sorry, that, that his disciples and apostles speak with divine authority. In John 16, 13, it says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. So this is Jesus telling his followers that the spirit will speak to you and deliver truth to you and you will know that it is truth because it comes from the spirit of God and that truth is truth that you can be confident in relaying to others. Paul later states, okay, in another teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 12 through 13, he says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. In another moment, okay, another place in Scripture, Peter refers to Paul's writings as Scripture itself. In 2 Peter chapter 3.16, he says, He does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other Scriptures, right? So Peter is referring to Paul's word as Scripture itself. Right? Not only do we have this Old Testament that people still twist and misuse for their own uh, misguided uses, but they do that with Paul's instruction as well, which he refers to as Scripture. This claim, okay, from Peter, I feel is supported by Christ's trust in him. So Peter's claim is supported by Christ's trust in Peter. In Matthew 18, 18, what's he say? Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven, right? He's telling that to his disciples. He goes on to speak specifically about Peter. Uh, This is actually before these words, but in Matthew 16, 18, he says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So I think that Peter, for me, is a trustworthy source. If he is the rock on which Christ is going to build his church, then I'm going to just go ahead and trust in what he has to say, okay? Because I don't know if you know this, but he didn't say on Paul Huff, the rock, I will build my church. And now I'm the size of a boulder, right? But not something you want to use as a foundational piece for the entirety of the Christian world. But Peter seems to be, it appears to me, a trustworthy source based on what scripture has to say. And then if we look at Matthew 5, 17 and 18, it says, uh, wait, wait a minute, before we get there, okay? Uh, All of that, right, to me in my mind, kind of clarifies almost the matter of the authority of Scripture. But then we have Matthew 5, 17 and 18, which takes it a step further, where Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it is accomplished. Now, I don't know if you've ever opened up a Hebrew uh, Bible, right? Uh, but if you have, you will notice that all over that writing, which will look like scribbles to you, I understand, there are lots of little ex- like accent marks, right? And they tell you to do different things and uh, help kind of convey some meaning. Some people say my... A Hebrew professor, when I was at Evangel, was like, these aren't important, wrote his own textbook and didn't include them. Uh, But I I don't really think that uh, that's necessarily true because we have this scripture that says we're not even going to get rid of a mark, right? Like, not not an exclamation, not a punctuation, not anything. 
I have not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. See, Christ is the fulfillment of Old Testament scripture. And that is something that I think that we cannot forget because there are so many in the church who want to start with Christ and forget about what happens in the Old Testament, right? Well, I know Jesus and the rest of it doesn't really matter to me. And frankly, if I'm being honest with you, that's wrong, okay? Many Christians make the mistake that Paul warned Timothy against. They think only of Christ and they ignore that which came before him. But what we have to understand and remember is that everything that came before him points to Christ. Every single moment in the Old Testament is leading us to the introduction of salvation that comes only from and through Jesus Christ. There's an argument out there that says that Christ changes what is found in the Old Testament, right? And those that were in the Old Testament were such a patriarch bigoted society that when Christ came he just changed absolutely everything about it but Christ's own words say that's not so right now we can make the argument that we don't believe the Bible's true or this that or the other and okay that's your argument but if you want to say that you believe in scripture if you want to say that you believe that it is authoritative then we have to listen to all of it because Christ tells us that all of it is important now, throughout the, Old, the New Testament, Christ and some of the other authors of Scripture clarify misunderstandings that were had in the Old Testament, right? Or at times uh, have maybe even explicitly uh, changed requirements, right? I, what I'm thinking specifically of is Peter's vision that we see in Acts chapter 10. If you don't know what I'm talking about, basically Peter has this vision where like a sheet is lowered from heaven and into this sheet, there's all kinds of animals that prior to that point, they weren't supposed to touch or eat, right? They're unclean. And in that vision, it was basically saying, hey, you can eat these things now. Really what it was telling Peter is because Peter was a Jew's Jew and he didn't really want to have anything to do with Gentiles. What it was really telling Peter is that I'm not just for the Jews, I'm for everybody now, right? Like y'all had your chance and you screwed this up and Jesus changed everything. But also Jesus makes it clear later in scripture by telling us it's not what goes into our mouths that makes us unclean, but what comes out of it, right? And so we do see in the New Testament some things from the Old Testament that um, are, are, I wouldn't even say explained away, but maybe changed by the revelation of Christ, right? But here's what I will tell you. If it's not explicitly stated in the New Testament, then doing away with what's taught in the Old Testament is dangerous. It's dangerous. Okay, if we are relying on ourselves to be the barometer for what is true and good, that's dangerous because we are not good and we are not a source of truth. Only God is that. Only God is that. And Christ reflects God the Father. And Christ came to fulfill the law and the prophets, not do away with them, okay? So if it's not explicitly stated in the New Testament, the Old Testament is as authoritative as any word uttered by Christ, okay? Any word uttered by Christ. Now, I don't know if you guys are, are aware of this, but uh, the other danger with this is Jesus didn't write any of the Bible. He didn't write it, okay? And this will shock you too, but when he said things, they didn't come out in red letters, <laughs> right? They were the same color letters as anybody else, okay? Every piece of scripture that we have was written by human hands, every single one. So even the accounts of Christ that some of us cling to so firmly because we 
affirm the message of forgiveness and salvation and love, okay, weren't written by Christ himself. They were written by people who witnessed Christ's teachings, okay? Many times firsthand accounts or, or even secondhand accounts that were secondhand because they knew or were in close relationship with somebody that was in relationship with Jesus. And I'm going to repeat that again at some point during this sermon, but I just want us to understand that, right? That if we're going to, well, Christ said this and he didn't say the rest, so I'm going to lean on Christ. Well, Christ says it and we know he says it because other people wrote it down, right? So if that's the argument, if, it, if the argument is, well, it's written by human hands and therefore it can't possibly be perfect, I would understand that argument if, if we were doing away with the fact that they are inspired by God. And so we have to continue in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, where it tells us that all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed, inspired by God, right? Literally inspired by God. So that's where Scripture kind of comes down to a matter of faith. Either we're going to believe that that is true, and we're led to that belief by the Spirit, by what we know about Christ and what we have learned about God through our experiences. Either we're going to believe that all Scripture is God-breathed or we're not. But if all Scripture is God-breathed, then it is without error and therefore it cannot be ignored or cast aside. If it's all God-breathed, then it's all important. Even Numbers, even Leviticus. You never read them? Read them. Bet you won't make it very far. It is important, I'm told. And I've read them more out of responsibility than desire. It's a whole lot of numbers and other boring stuff, right? But I can tell you the 57 ways that you have to handle leprosy depending on when you get it, how you get it, and where you got it, right? <laughs> Leviticus, read it all. But all Scripture is God-breathed, right? And if all Scripture is God-breathed, and again, it is without error and cannot be ignored or cast aside. Now, again, you might argue that there are Scriptures that maybe don't meet that standard while arguing that maybe there are others that don't. And that creates further problems. That creates a lot of logical conundrums that uh, are hard to overcome, okay? If there are writings that aren't God-breathed, how can we trust those that are? How do we thousands of years removed from the writing of Scripture, how can we possibly be intelligent enough or know to discern with 100% certainty that I can take this, but I'm, I should ignore this, right? How can we do that? Now, I, um, I feel like I'm a decently intelligent human being. I've been blessed with good genetics, uh, my children, both of them are smarter than I have ever hoped to be, and that's annoying, right? Um, but I, 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 I sound like a cocky jerk when I say this, but I am confident, I should say, in my intellectual ability, okay? Now, not saying I'm the most intelligent person in the room. I know that's not true. I just told you I got two people in my house that are blowing me out of the water, okay? Got multiple people in my family that show me I'm less than, okay? That's a thing. I'm not claiming that. But I am claiming that I feel at least confident enough in most matters to have an opinion and to support that opinion. But I would never dare, personally, at any point, no matter the amount of education that I have, 
to say or tell you that there is something in the 66 books of canonized scripture that you should ignore, that you should not listen to. I would never do that. I wouldn't dare. Okay? Now, to me, that's a matter of personal conscience, and you're going to have to decide that because ultimately you're going to be the one that's responsible for that. But if I'm sitting here up here from the pulpit telling you to ignore this and ignore that, but let's do this and do that, and yay, everything's great, then I'm going to hell. That's as honest as I can be. Because I have a responsibility to you as individuals that call Crosspoint home to say what's in Scripture regardless of how I feel about it. Okay, does that make sense? I hope it makes sense. I hope I don't sound like a crazy jerk right now. That's not my goal. But I, I just, I would never dare at any moment dare to think that I somehow know better than Paul the Apostle or Peter the Rock. I just wouldn't do that. I, I mean, I have some irrational confidence, guys. Like, if you haven't met me long enough, pretty sure I could be a plus-size model. Hey, you know, just kidding. That was a... <laughs> Okay, I mean, most athletic events, I'm like, yeah, I could probably beat LeBron James in one-on-one. Why not? I got a shot, you know? Uh, just, that ain't true either, but it doesn't stop me from thinking it, okay? I have some irrational confidence, but this is one area that I will never test. This is one area I would never push. This is one area where I would never, ever dare to presume that I somehow know better than the authors of Scripture. I just won't do it. I can't do it, can't afford to do it, okay? And so there are some logical issues that arise if, if we want to say, well, this scripture is good and that scripture is bad when we look at the Holy Bible. And then there's other things that we have to think about. How do we avoid our own bias to ensure that we don't ignore scripture that speaks against the way we or those that we love choose to live their life, okay? We've got to avoid that like the plague as well because it's really easy to read scripture and says, well, that speaks out against me. I'll ignore it, right? Like, okay, overshare. If you lust after a woman with your heart, you might as well be committing adultery with her. Uh, I have been very honest with you about my struggles, right? Lust being the number one. I lust after things, not just people, things. Like, I guess that would be coveted, coveting, but I... I I, you know, I have an ungodly desire at times in my life for things that I should not have an ungodly desire for. Now, it'd be really easy to ignore those parts of Scripture and just say, the blood of Jesus covers it. Thank you, Lord. I'm okay. Christ died for my sins. And I'll just continue to sin in my sin because Christ died for those things. Can't do that either. Right? Can't do that either. So we have to ensure that our biases don't take over. How do we deal with the fact that, for instance, the gospel accounts are completely identical? Because couldn't God in, in his infinite wisdom and power and ability make that be the case? It would seem to me that scripture does have some human influence, at least human perspective, because we have four gospels that, while they are quite cohesive, also have different viewpoints, right? So it would seem that we have at least different viewpoints in Scripture over the same events. But does that make them less inspired by God? Or does that just show the true power of God to use people's different viewpoints to ultimately reach the same conclusion? Things to think about. Things to think about. 
Scriptures, I would argue, you want my opinion, you're getting it. You don't want it, you're getting it anyways, I have the microphone. Scriptures, I would argue, were written by man, but divinely inspired by God. I'm over, guys. I got so much more. I tried to cut this down. I'm going to go fast, okay? So record and slow it down uh, later, okay? Scripture, I would argue, were written by man, but divinely inspired by God. And because that spirit, because that spirit was leading the writing of the 66 books that we call our Bible, we can trust it all. We can trust it all. I have further confidence provided in that statement by the process of canonization. And if you don't know what that is, I would suggest you take, it, it would behoove you to take a few minutes out of your life and Google search it. Now, you can get down some rabbit holes, right? But it would be good for you to study that process. Canonization, for those of you that don't know, is the process by which the books that were chosen, the 66 books that were chosen to be in the Holy Scriptures that we call the Bible were chosen, right? There's a, a group of scriptures, maybe we would argue not holy, called the Apocrypha, right? Not included. 14 books? Is, that, is it 14? It's 14-ish. It's in the teens, right? Give or take a few. I think it's 14. But 14 books not included in Scripture. Now, why weren't they versus why were some others? Let's talk about those things. Here's why things were chosen to be in the 66 books, okay? First was their divine qualities. How do we choose the 66 books that are in the Holy Bible? Their divine qualities, meaning that they agreed with the character of God and they weren't an outlier in their message, right? So this kind of makes logical sense. If you have a whole bunch of books that say this is who God is and then you have one that says God is just a bully with a magnifying glass, right? It, well, do I believe the 66 witness accounts or do I believe the one, right? Now, is it possible that all 66 got together and are in cahoots? Sure, maybe. Sure, maybe. But that's kind of how we make that decision, right? Or how that decision was made in the Council of Nicaea, right? Does it have the divine qualities of God? Is it cohesive, were they accepted by the church? What does that mean? Here's what I need you guys to know. The majority, the vast majority, like 22 of the 27 books that we consider the New Testament, okay, were in place by the second century. That's a long time ago, right? Long, 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 long time ago, like not that far removed from Christ while disciples and things were still walking near. Okay, the majority of it, 22 of the 27 already in place by the second century. And then the third thing was, especially when we talk about the New Testament, is their connection to an apostle, right? Or to, was it written by somebody who walked with Jesus? Was it written by somebody who was hand in hand that served alongside with Jesus or someone who was like directly in relationship with the person who directly walked with Jesus, right? So it's not like, well, this is, Peter's uncle's third cousin, twice removed, on his second mother's side's next door neighbor across the block, right? Like, it's, that, that, that's not going to uh, meet the qualification, so to speak. So there are a lot of people who are far more intelligent than I that spent a lot of time trying to make sure that they were providing a complete and total picture of who God the Father was, who Christ the Son was, who the Holy Spirit is, and how we should live our lives according to that relationship, right? So for me, that doesn't lessen the authority of Scripture. It only strengthens it. 
great care has been taken to deliver the scriptures that we have today. Great care. Really, really great care. Okay? And I could talk to you about the Dead Sea Scrolls and the, like how close our scriptures are today to those, but I'm not going to do that because this isn't a Bible class, but it's interesting. Study it. It's interesting. But great care has been taken to deliver the scriptures that we have today. They are reliable. They are historical. But most importantly, above all else, they are a gift from God. And they are inspired by God. And because that is so, they are useful for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So that we, as children of God, can be equipped for every good work. That's amazing. That's a gift. And it deserves our reverence. It deserves our respect. And it deserves to be an authority in our life. Now, maybe you agree with me. Maybe you don't. Thank the Lord for free will. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now and I thank you for this day, God. And I just thank you for the fact that uh, you have gifted us with the Holy Scriptures that you have gifted us with revelation that tells us how we should live our lives, that, that, that really truly does make it clear what is sin and what is not sin, and that, God, you have given us the, this tangible text to, to go alongside the leading of the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, within these scriptures, we see that you are loving and we see that you are forgiving and we see that you are gracious. And we see that you sent salvation through Jesus. And God, we are in all of that. But Lord, if we read scriptures, we also see that you will hold us accountable. We also see that you are righteous. We also see that we will face judgment for our decision making. Lord, we know that sin leads to death. But because of Christ, we get to experience life. And we see the entirety of who you are and your character in the word of God. Lord, I pray for each and every person here today that they would be convicted of the things in their life that they need to change, that they would be convicted of, of the way they need to change their view of scripture. And Lord, I'm talking about me too. If there's something in my life that is in the way of me understanding your revelation to man, then get rid of it. If there's something that I need to be convicted of and a viewpoint that I need to change, Lord, I don't want any of me. I just want you. I just want you. I just want to reflect you. I just want to be a leader who points people back to you and that preaches grace and preaches salvation and preaches patience and, and, and preaches kindness and preaches respect for all people because that's what I think you have called us to. But also, Lord, someone who will tell the truth, someone who will stand firm on conviction, someone who will be led by the Spirit, someone who will correct and teach and reprove if needed. And also, Lord, someone who's open to that someone who's open to correction when correction needs to be had, Something, some, someone that, that, that's willing to, to be bent if needed. And while I pray that for myself, that's the same prayer I have for each and every person in this room. 
more of you, less of me. More of you, less of us. More God, less sin. More deity, less humanity. May we walk around the world reflections of who you are so that in everything we do, we point people back to God the Father and Christ the Son. I ask these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Stand up. Worship with us. If you need to pray, come pray with me. I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you. Whatever you're dealing with in life, I want to pray over that. Okay? People are struggling, and you're not alone. You need to know that too. You're struggling, you're not alone. Okay? So come, and let's join together in prayer over whatever it is that you might need prayer for. If you need to discuss salvation, what it means to completely turn yourself over to Jesus, then let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Otherwise, right now is a moment where we get to stand and we get to worship a God who is worthy of all of our praise. Amen? Amen.